Welcome to Disco Dice. I am your host, the Conesy with the most, and I am joined by an illustrious crowd of unruly, wild gaming fanatics. Who all do we have here today? Hey, it's Justin, the Meeple's champion. And I'm Matt, the Ghostwalker. And this is Suzanne. And this is episode 103 of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Woo! Today is December 28th, 2022. On today's episode, we will cover our interview with Crossbow Games. We'll also take a look at the games we've been playing. But first, let's dive into the gaming news. Whisker Dice news starting off. We just want to make sure we get a friendly reminder that Whisker Dice Board Game Night at Misty Mountain Games will be happening this January 27th, 2023. If you're not sure when these events happen, they're always the final Friday every month. We have a lot of fun. We bring games from the Whisker Dice Tabletop Gaming Library of board games for people to play. We we do teaches, we do yeah, interactions, occasionally we have swag to give away, or other stuff potentially in the future, but the idea is that everybody's getting together to have fun, play games at Misty Bone Games here in Madison, Wisconsin. Start time is 6 p.m., so if you're in the Madison area, please come on down to Misty Mountain Games this January 27th and join us for a lot of fun playing board games, having a good time. Start six, six like I said, starts six o'clock, and it is a good time. Also, I will be at Midwinter Gaming Convention. That's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The convention itself runs from January 12th through the 15th. Wonderful four-day convention. I will be there. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be there for the full convention, but I will be there January 13th and 14th. I'm running games all day on the 14th, so if you're looking for something to do on the 14th, and if there's room in any of Conzie's games, you can more than welcome to get a ticket and join those games. Otherwise, let me know if you're around the convention on the 13th. We can always hook up and have a good time and play a game or something. Um, I'm currently on a pretty open schedule on the 13th, so... Let me know. Anyways, that is a great chance if you want to uh, meet up with a Conzie and talk board games or play a game that's a great opportunity for you to do that and that'll be the midwinter gaming convention in milwaukee wisconsin january 12th through the 15th all right suzanne why don't you catch us up on the next piece of it here oh for an upcoming crowdfunding project that i have been following pretty closely and am getting more and more excited about is the batman escape from arkham asylum by Night Games. You know, we love Batman and Batman games at Wisco Dice. Most of us play the Batman miniature games that Night produces. Well, this is a board game of Batman. It is going live on GameFound on January 24th of 2023. So when you hear this podcast, you should have plenty of time to check out and back that project. So what's been really intriguing is uh is that they've had a series of emails and postings on game found following the product the creation of this project and explaining how different components are going to work and how the game is going to feel and it's been a real exciting journey for me to follow i'll just chip in here that one of the key things that they've announced is that the miniatures will be while they are all plastic that are going to be included with this board game 
they're all the same scale as the miniatures for the Batman miniature game. So if you're looking for some great alternate sculpts or a great lower cost way to maybe get some miniatures for the Batman miniature game, backing this project will help you out with that, plus get you a game on top of it. So double value there. So on to other topics in the news is if you've been listening to the show or reading our blog article, you know Conzie and I have a Jasper gaming table from BoardGameTables.com that we very much enjoy and have been using for several years now. We received notice that Board Game Tables has is changing or has actually changed by the uh, time this episode is out to All Play is their new name. So uh, it's reflecting both. It's supposed to reflect who they are and what they're doing more as they've they now do games and bags and play mats and shelves as well as the game tables. So if you are looking for boardgametables.com and you see a new it redirects you to a new website called letsallplay.com, you got the right place. All right, that pretty much wraps it up for our news. If you have news that you want to share with us, please reach out to us at hosts at whiskodice.com with your news tips. On to what games we've been playing. All right. Uh, our first game to talk about t- today is uh, Boon Lake. This is a game from Cap- publisher Capstone Games and uh, designer Alexander Fister. Playtime is listed at 40 minutes per player. And it plays from one to four. Ben and Suzanne and I got to play this recently. And uh, Boon Lake is a Western-themed Euro strategy game in which you are responsible for exploring and developing some new lands and a sort of a new frontier uh, Western kind of landscape. You're going to be building buildings and constructions by playing cards. Uh, You're going to be hiring individuals on the same cards that can provide you benefits for your gameplay. You will be developing the land by settling it with with inhabitants and upgrading them to houses and uh, settlements eventually, and also having cattle out on the land on pastures, which take advantage of nearby housing and settlements to earn you points. This is, you know, probably another kind of point salad game from from Alexander Fister. There are so many ways you can score points in this game. Like I mentioned, you you can uh, develop this land with settlements and people. You can put cattle out. You can just be developing a bunch of useful buildings and cards that are going to provide you points. One of the core mechanics in the game is that every round you're going to pick an action from a, a stack of action tiles, and you'll perform the action as the active player, which might be something like placing new tiles out onto the map that would be potential places you can then settle in the future or put cattle on in the future. And then on most tiles, there's a secondary action that the active player and all the other players get to perform as well. So as you're choosing your tile and and doing your action, everybody else is also able to think about what they're going to do with that tile, uh, whether it's uh, placing a new settler out or playing a card or uh, various other uh, actions. Uh, the action tile you select is also going to determine uh, how far your ship is going to move on the river. The The map in the game is a bunch of hex tiles with a large river running through uh, the center. Each round you're going to move 
a ship down the river downstream and gain some benefits from the spaces along the river as you go. It could be some income, it could be more cards for you to draw and play, uh, and other resources that help you throughout the game. And that river movement also acts as the game clock. So as you progress through the river, you'll cross through these gates or dams, and those trigger interim scoring in the middle of the game where you're going to be able to score a, a particular feature, the, the number of cattle you have out, or the number of presences you have in a couple different regions or something like that and so you'll progress through this river and then loop back up to the top of the river uh, and come back down again and then take a sort of alternate path in in future rounds i like again this is this is one of those where the game timer is thematically integrated time tracker to to track the rounds but you get to do this physical thing where you're moving a boat down the river and making some choices along the way of what do I want to pick up? How far am I going to move based on the action I pick? There's a, a, lot of, a lot going on in this game. It's a complex game, and it's a longer game, I would say, too. But I think it is, is another good design from Alexander Pfister. I really enjoyed this one. It's definitely one that I'm going to need to get some more plays in to really get a feel for, for some strategy. I think in this most recent play, I started to catch on to some of the the things that would be you know more optimal moves and that kind of thing uh, but there's a lot a lot of meat in the game so you can you, you know get a lot out of each play that you're going to have of it uh, how, how was it for you guys ben and suzanne i will say i enjoyed the game mechanics i enjoyed the artwork and it was fun adding the different um components to my town like having a distillery and having a saloon and hotels the theme of the game didn't really come through too much for me i felt like i could have plopped a space theme on it well i guess you can't have a river in space but (laughs) if you're inhabiting a a new planet or something or you know whatever exploring the islands like you do in maracaibo or whatever type of thing but the actual game itself was a lot of fun building up the engine, have, being able to do actions on other people's turns was really nice. So even though it was longer and it was a longer game, it was enjoyable longer. You didn't feel like it was being drawn out. And Ben, what were your thoughts? Oh, I want to note that I am not a fan of Western-themed games uh, as a general rule. So when Justin finally helped kind of decide this is the game that he wanted to play, I was maybe a little less than enthusiastic about it, but okay, sure, let's give it a go. What I found was a game that I actually really liked, the the game mechanics and the, the game itself. The one thing I probably caveat is I think it's it's a little it felt a little long for what it really did. Maybe a little over bloated and yeah, definitely did not make me feel like I was playing a Western game. A lot of those elements that you would think of the classic Wild Wild West of, you know, maybe gunfights or cattle wrestling or any of that kind of stuff, maybe a train heist or anything like that. None of those elements are ever represented in the game as elements or things that you can do from a 
interactions perspective so really the game is is very much more on the strategic mechanics type of game and from that side of it it was an actually really good experience although like i guess that it seemed like a like it went a little long and it took a little bit longer to get where it was going than maybe it needed to get but that said it was a first play so that initial pr- impression on a on a crunchier game i felt very similar to that when i played arc nova that I felt like it took a little too long to get where it was going at the beginning and wish it just got me there to start the game and so that I could just dive into the in the meat of it a little bit faster. But then after a couple more plays of Arc Nova, it turned into my game of the year for 2022. So I don't want you to think that my initial impression means that this game is bloated and you shouldn't play it. I think it's a great mechanical game. I really enjoyed that piece of it. Thematically, if you don't like Western games, this is still a game that you will like. And if you do like Western games, this is a game that you will be able to maybe seep out some theme. But those classic, some of those classic things you're looking for in the the gold rush or the gunfights or the train heists or anything like that, it's just not really well represented in this game at all. I, I do feel like I have to defend the theme of the game a little bit here because. You're looking for, I th- I think what you're expecting is a, a Wild Wild West kind of game. This is just the Calm Calm West. This is a game about uh, developing a settlement and pa- uh, pasturing some cattle and just, you know, building up your town and adding buildings and hiring new people. I don't have quite the criticisms of the theme <laughs> that you guys do, um, but maybe theme is just less important to me in general. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a Euro gamer. It's something that it's not the first thing I look for in a game, um, and I do I do share the criticism that it felt long, but I think my inclination is that it is mostly due to being new to the game. I felt like we did start to pick up pace as we went along, uh, and the mechanics kind of became more evident in how they work together. But again. I think it would take some plays to figure out if if that is something like you said with Arc Nova, where it does pick up once you figure out what's going on. I think it's worth it to figure out, you know, if this is a game for you, give it a try. It it is a game that you're going to be playing for a while, so just plan accordingly. I'm just going to say the fact that it was a long game was definitely not a negative for me. I actually yeah. sometimes enjoy having a longer game. So, because by the time you get some games set up, then you take a breath and it's like you're done playing it. So this was, you set up, you sat back and you enjoyed playing it. You had some socialization time, which, you know, is really important to us gamers that are female, I think. <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, then it was, it went on and you felt like it was a full game and then it's going to be done. Yeah, so that was uh, uh, Boone Lake from Capstone Games. Let's talk about another game, and that's one with my favorite thing in the whole wide world just about. That's not Batman. It is Dinosaurs, and Dinogenics from Ninth Haven Games is exactly that. It is a game with playtime of somewhere between 90 and 120 minutes. and plays one to five players. Myself and Suzanne have played it most recently. Uh, Brian has had an app- actual opportunity to play it in the past. There is a reprint coming. It is a one of the dinosaur games, like dinosaur theme park games, that are very hard to get your hands on. But there is a new reprint, probably with an expansion or something coming to crowdfunding, is my guess, in 2023. 
So that is something to be excited for if you're trying to get your hands on this game. Uh, Dinogenics is a competitive game. The best way I can sum it up is if you've played Lords of Waterdeep, it is Lords of Waterdeep meets Dinosaur Theme Park. Uh, it is a a straightforward worker placement game where you're for the most part, you're, what you're doing is you're placing your worker on a spot on the board, just like any other worker placement game. You're getting the resource from that spot and or whatever that spot lets you do. There are cards that work very similarly to the uh, intrigue cards in Lords of Waterdeep. They're can't remember exactly what they're called, but they manipulation or something cards, I think is what they're called. And then the other piece of it is it has DNA cards. And these DNA cards are basically a set collection mechanic. So if you want to make a raptor, you need to have three raptor cards. And then you can go to a location and create a raptor to add to your theme park. Of course, when you add dinosaurs to your theme park, we know we've seen enough dinosaur theme park movies over the years that something will inevitably go wrong. Dinosaurs will rampage and destroy visitors and whatnot. And this game is probably the best game I think I've seen for being able to pull that off mechanically and thematically. So what happens is at the end of the turn, you do check. And if you haven't put the proper cages or the proper habitats for your for your dinosaurs, or you haven't fed your your carnivores appropriately. And yes, you do feed them. You have to go collect goats to feed your carnivores in this game. The poor goats are getting eaten by the T-Rexes and the other various uh, nasty little meat-eating dinosaurs that have really cool little miniature meeples. The set collection aspect and putting those, those dinosaurs into their appropriate pens ultimately comes down to the mechanic for testing which is the only dice roll in the game and you roll roll a dice and if the dinosaur was not in the appropriate habitat you make you make the dice roll and then the dinosaur if it was uh maybe a guest saw the dinosaur rampage and they thought it was part of the show and you get something bonus for it but most of the time, the dinosaurs, when they when you roll the dice, will rampage and either destroy a facility or knock down the fence. Or, worst case, they'll do that and eat a visitor, which is bad, and you get a scandal token, which is worth negative six points at the end of the game and is really, really bad. Ultimately, at the end of the game, after seven seasons, it was a seven-round game, after seven seasons of the game... Somebody has the most points and wins, which is always, it seems like, the conclusion in all of these dinosaur theme park games. Anyways, that is Dinogenics. Suzanne, did you have any thoughts that you wanted to add to that giant ramble of a description of this game? And if everyone was able to follow that, they should definitely play this game because they will win. No. Um, <laughs> this is a really nice game been described it very well there's a lot going on but it's not overwhelming uh, very similar to lords of Waterdeep, just a dinosaur theme and we played it with our daughter who's home from college and she wanted to play a game with us one night and loves lords of Waterdeep. played this game kicked our butts but she had a great time doing it and so I think this game 
is just fun. It's a great game for serious gamers and those that are much more casual. So those are kind of my thoughts on it. Game at the last two game hole cons here in Madison. And it's been very successful at both conventions. So it's a game that while I, I think I probably rambled a little long about, about all of these things and how it works and whatever. One, it's dinosaurs and lots of people love dinosaurs and dinosaur games. But it's also a game that's great for things like convention play and just normal pickup game nights because there's a lot of there's a there's plenty going on in the game, but the game isn't such an uphill learning curve to try to learn it to be good at the game that people can pick it up very quickly and have an enjoyable time with it. And it has a lot of relatable mechanics to a lot of other board games that they may have already played and have a feel for. So things like, oh, hey, placing my worker on this thing and I get things and then I use the things to do these things. Okay, that makes sense. And people can kind of get it and they get into the game. The iconography is really good. If I had one complaint about Dinogetics is I'm not a big fan of the rule book. I think the rule book does a great job of explaining the game. It's just not necessarily as well organized as I would like. All right, and that is Dinogenics. So for pictures of all of these games and links to the games where you can check them out and see more about them, you can head on over to whiskedice.com. We will have all of these games and links to them in our show notes there. Hey folks, this is the Conzie of the Most. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin, where you can find CCGs, RPGs, board games, minis, paint and hobby supplies for your all of your tabletop gaming experience and needs. If you can't find it online, give them a phone call or swing on by their brick-and-mortar store uh, here on the east side of Madison. Don't worry, that is MistyMountainGames.com. Check them out today. And we're back. All right. And we are joined by Crossbow Games. Hello. How's it going? Hey there. Happy New Year. Hello. Happy New Year. Yeah. So it is, I should just quick for the audience, it's January 3rd, 2023 today. We're really excited to have you guys on. If I think we should probably just go ahead and get started with a quick round of introductions before we uh, dive into the actual interview. Sounds great. Well, I'm Jonathan Carnell. Uh, I'm one half of Crossbow Games. My buddy Ryan. I'm Ryan Tromick, and I, I make up the other half. So it's just the two of us, and we're uh, having at it. One of the things that I think is uh, people over uh, overestimate or overthink the game, board game industry is that these gaming design game companies, companies and publishers are these big corporations, and there's dozens of people but everyone we ever interview all the every company it's like one or two people maybe three i think the the most successful business we were we interviewed was there's three employees so yeah it's not a surprise to us but i, I think it can come right. as a surprise to our audience how small publishers really are as far as uh, what they're doing it's almost always just passionate people about that love games like we do so absolutely and what what i i always think is interesting about ryan and myself is the um how well we complement each other because ryan is an engineer so he's kind of the 
math guy. We're, we both design the games, but he's the more analytical. He'll throw throw our play tests into a spreadsheet and, and crunch some numbers that I don't understand. And then I'm an artist by trade, and so uh, so I also do most of most if not all of our artwork. And so we're kind of a cool left brain, right brain, yin yang, really cool um, way that our, our skill sets complement each other. That's pretty nice that you guys have that dynamic and it's where it seems like it's working for you. Can you tell us a little bit about Crossbow Games in general, what got you started um, or how the company got started and what you've been working on and stuff just in high picture, high sure. level? Yeah, the, uh, Crossbow Games started actually just before COVID started. And so uh, it wasn't because of COVID, but but the time at home we all found ourselves with kind of helped uh, take it from just an idea to something something real because we were able to pour ourselves into this passion project, like you said. Um, so I guess this month is three years, technically three years that we've been we've been an entity, mm -hmm. right? Um, and our first game. Oh, thank you. Our first game wasn't published until fall of twenty one. So, anyway, relatively short lifespan so far. But yeah, we're, we're Crossbow Games. I guess to tell you what we do, we specialize. Our passion is small, light. You could say filler games. We found ourselves on the Game Crafter, which. Uh, I think your audience probably is at least familiar with Grey Gnome games on the Game Crafter. That's the, the I guess you could say, mega hit within the this niche of print-on-demand print Game Crafter games. And so that's Jason Glover. He makes a lot of awesome Minton games on the Game Crafter. And he was a big inspiration for us. We, When Ryan and I started designing, we conceived tons of different game ideas, some that were, they kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then once we discovered this mint tin format and how lovely and perfect the product is, we started simplifying and streamlining until we get our games down into mint tin format. And it just kind of, the constraints kind of exploded our creativity. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's um, so, so far we have three mint tin games that are out. And uh, like I said, quite a bit more on the way. Yeah, we have a, <laughs> we have a backlog that's quite insane because, uh, <laughs> It seems like every new idea just uh, kind of splits off and forks off into another idea, and then we'll come back and visit those mechanics and plug them into something else. And, and by the time we're done with one, we might have four others that are like, "Ooh, we could we could approach this or or try that out in play testing." Um, it's kind of fun in that regard. That sounds like a good problem to have. <laughs> Pairing them down um, is a real problem. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well. Let me ask, what kind of got you into the idea of designing games in the first place? Just something you were always interested in, or what was the what kind of pushed you into? We want to actually design our own stuff. I mean, Jonathan approached me and asked, or he was mentioning designing with his brother, mm -hmm. and I'll let you get into that. But, um, yeah, I mean, Ryan and I, uh, our friendship kind of probably blossomed over games. We've known each other for many years, and. Uh, we're gaming buddies for, for many years. I like to assume for many, many gamers, everyone has a game kind of cooking in the back of their mind or they wish they could design something if they could. And so 
that was probably the same for the both of us. It was something that I'd always wanted to do, but I didn't know how to do or where to start. And I guess the beginning of it is that I, I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a professional artist. Um, I work in the fashion industry, but my passion is games. And uh, I, I happened to meet a local board game designer who worked on war games many years ago. We ran into each other at a, at a Panera Bread of all places and struck up a conversation about the games he was playtesting. And before you knew it, uh, I was working on a game for him. And after a few years, I had done a handful of war games. And war games aren't necessarily aren't my genre that I play in as a gamer myself. It just happened to be what I was doing professionally. And so then after a few years of that, I thought, once I had my name on BGG and some some credits to my name, I thought, oh, you know what? I'm a professional game artist. Like, I actually have a little bit of know-how. And so that's then what gave me the confidence to say, I can actually design my own and I can, you know, I'll, I can design my own and do the art for my own. And so that, I guess, is the backstory of, of Crossbow Games. Well, that's a lot of history there. Uh, and I think you have a, a very interesting model with the with what you're doing uh, with the print-on kind of demand type games and then the, the small mint tin form factor. It's a form factor that uh, we, we actually like a lot because it's the, so easy to travel with and mm-hmm. take with you and uh, still be able to play it and, and be able to play it you know, in so many different venues. So one of the things that we were curious is kind of to get to just to get to know you better is what games really inspire you what for me it's a lot of video games interestingly enough i mean from smash bros to mario kart to the old halo games just seeing little mechanics in there that you can just pull out and emulate uh through a card is just really interesting and and fascinating how you can just pull something and, and try to try to get the fun factor out of it or like the what you call the <laughs> yeah, since... yeah just the, the essence of that yeah and try to put it into a different format um that's not three-dimensional or or even have um or even has uh, some sort of timing associated um like it would in a in a video game but also for you magic oh yeah magic magic's a big a big interest in an old hobby of mine unfortunately i've been priced out of that <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, aren't we all? (laughs) There's almost uh, what Ryan and I do is we we just are always on Instagram video, and when one of us comes up with an idea, Mm -hmm. we'll just shoot each other videos, and we're back and forth all day, every other day. We're we're blabbing at each other, and our both of our wives are (laughs) just exasperated by it because they always like my wife always hears Ryan blabbing in the background, and and Ryan's wife hears the same. And um, where am I going with this? Oh, so we're always <laughs> brainstorming something. And usually there's some reference that Ryan makes to Magic the Gathering, which mm. I'm less familiar with. I didn't grow up playing it, but um, it's a cool cool reference point for Ryan. And I suppose for myself, I, I play a ton of games, especially with my wife. And as we had children, we'd play more and more and more small, quick, light card and dice games. Where when I started in the hobby, it was a lot of big, heavy, like Stefan Stefan Feld Euros, 
and more and more and more we just are playing card games and so uh, i used to say carl chuddick was my favorite designer who did glory to rome i'd still say my technically i'd say it's my favorite game and so every time ryan pitches an idea to me i say oh but what if we could do multi-use cards or what if we could tuck the cards under each other um in the kind of chuddick form reiner knizia is my more recent obsession like every i've I've played only one game of his i've disliked other than that everything of his is is just perfection lost cities probably being the most played so so i'm very much into card games we kind of go back and forth we don't know if we start theme first or mechanism first it's pretty mutual pretty even Mm -hmm. they the way they these ideas kind of evolve in, in the way we brainstorm but games always need to be in my mind mechanical in the end uh maybe mm. like Kinesia, like that it's not just theme and story there's definitely clean mechanisms holding everything together you talked a little bit uh, about the the constraints for your designs when you're limited to this mint tin box format does that do you find that that those constraints drive you to to focusing really on tightening those mechanics up not to necessarily sacrifice theme, but it seems like you would kind of really need to get that good to keep it in that format. Is that? Yeah, like I said, our first games just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then these constraints, they made it, it almost simplified it. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do all the things you'd want to do. And so you'd, right. it, it helped. And it's constrained in multiple ways because the size is the most obvious constraint. And so you can't have more than really 54 cards. And if, uh, or, you know, you can't have more than a certain amount of dice. And my theory is that it, what it yields is a product that speaks to a certain type of game or, or a certain type of situation, throw it in your pocket, take it to the coffee shop. And so anything bigger, anything that wouldn't fit in a mint tin, in my mind, doesn't belong in our line of games, because then that's maybe for a different brand. It's for a different publisher. And so even though our games, we play with different types of mechanisms, just the space alone constrains them to be not overly complex. But then additionally, what, the surprise the, the space was kind of fun to work within. I, I usually start with in my design software, like you know, my 54 cards. And I know like that's the max. And then I start mm-hmm. playing within that. And it actually helps get to the end point. That's kind of fun and uh, like generative in a way. But if that's, I don't know if that's a word, but. Um, <laughs> The rules has been the the surprising constraint because oh. we typically do it on this. There's a little four panel folded piece of paper that is the size of, folds down to the size of a mint tin card, and so it's you know eight panels. And even our simplest game, it's so hard to edit it down to be both uh, readable but still very specific and accurate to make a successful rules. And I don't want the, the font to be five point font and be readable without a magnifying glass. And so I edit the language, I edit out words, I make as many contractions as I can, I make every number a Roman number instead of a, it written out as the word, and still it's so hard. And so sometimes we have, um, there might be an idea that would require its own paragraph to explain the rules. And it's like, well, there's simply not room for it. 
And somebody might say, well, then you're, you're walking away from, what if that was the, the perfect game and that you're missing the rule that would make it the perfect game? Hmm. But again, in my, my philosophy is that, well, if it, do, if it can't fit within these constraints, it, it really doesn't belong. And, and what we end up with is a smoother, more accessible game that would appeal to a broader audience. I rambled there, but I'm not, did that, does that answer your question? Did that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah, thank you. The description of your rules, how you're describing condensing them, brought me back to high school when I'd have one note card to like yeah. write all of the equations or whatever for the final and condense it down as much as you could. Right. So, uh, I've, I've listened to other podcasts. I couldn't say who said this. I've listened to advice that is about focusing the game, even big games, trying to focus on what is the fun factor, what is the essence. What is the thing that makes you come back to this game? What is the main objective, et cetera, et cetera? And so probably a lot of games, that's a good a bit of advice to hone and focus. And so the, the small constraints just help us get there quicker, maybe. With these two, to hone in on that one mechanic that, that really drives the fun factor, but then to find a couple auxiliary mechanics that kind of synergize with that to, to just make a... I mean, it's not just a soup of mechanics, but it's like a well-oiled machine that just it works um, and it just feels good. But it's pretty cool to kind of arrive at that point because we have a lot of games that are just sitting in this nebulous backlog that that are a mechanic soup right now, but someday when that gels just right or bakes just right or whatever analogy you want to use, metaphor, um, yeah, I think... That's when you kind of strike gold, mm-hmm. and then you're like, "Whoa, so excited!" Until you hit the rules writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, oh, one so, more. Thing. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to jump in on the. Um, you mentioned one card, uh, note card. <sighs> well, I thought Mint Tin was as small, you know, was as about as small as you could go. But the Game Crafter is currently running a contest that is the single card game design contest, and so. Oh. And I've seen so, there's a lot of people in our little community of uh, indie uh, game crafter designers. And most contests come and go, but this one I've seen so much interest. Everyone's just jumping on it. And it's, that's the epitome of tight, tight, tight constraints. And when we sat down and said, hey, let's, let's try one, it seemed impossible at first. But once we kind of, had one idea, it led to another, led, led to another. And we ended up with like seven or eight ideas with rules written. And we're like, well, we can't do all these. Now we have to, now we have to edit those down. Um, but fitting a whole game on one card, it, it was an, another thrill. And I'm like, oh, that's all I want to do now is one card games. That's my, that's my new thing. You just pack, awesome. up, pack like... a bunch of those into a, a tin and just a little anthology of one card games. Yeah. Oh, we daydream about that for sure. You can credit card size and then people can just stick them in their wallet. Yeah. They get it even they... smaller then. <laughs> Take all the games and then they can form one big game too. Oh, a Megazord yeah. of games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That would be pretty awesome. So you were mentioning game crafters that you've been working with. Why did you choose to launch your games via the print-on-demand services versus going what a lot of, like, um, one of the crowdfunding, like, GameFound or Kickstarter? Uh, the main reason, well, when we started, we weren't really sure what form our company would take. In fact, 
I first kind of imagined this with my brother, and he's very much into abstract games. And I had access to a laser cutter, and we were we were thinking we were gonna laser cut abstract games and sell them on Etsy. And then Ryan and I, my brother's out of town, Ryan's local, and and it was our development that really kind of filled momentum. And we had these games. We're like, well, what are we gonna do with them? And the main reason we went with the Game Crafter was probably that it was less risk than uh, Kickstarter. Like I've, in fact, I mentioned. Um, um, Gloria Rome. That's an, an infamous story where I think uh, it, 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 these these can get the, managing a Kickstarter campaign is it takes investment and time and can be a financial risk. Mm. And so it seemed like you know what, at least when we start, let's let's try this, see where it goes, and who knows what happens in the future. But then, um, additionally, what we realized because we've already said it a bunch of times how many ideas we have isn't it gave us the chance to try even more ideas and get to the finish line a lot quicker whereas i i could you can imagine a kickstarter you'd have to work on it's not just the the development and the art and the play testing but you need more reviews and and video reviews and you send it out to podcasters and you you know it, it just those campaigns you, you can hire a firm to help you manage them because they can be so complex and so I, I, I think we, we, you could have spent three years doing one game for a Kickstarter. In our case, we're three years in, and we've got three games published. Two will be out you know, in the first half of 2023, 20, and we'll, we'll have more after that. Any other reasons, Ryan? Um, I mean, semi-related with the Kickstarter tie-in. Um, I mean, our first game that we didn't publish... I mean, we spent probably a year, year and a half working on and honing, and we came up with multiple prototypes, and and it felt good, but it it just it it was until that the point we set that aside and started to work on other things that just exploded because we were starting to combine mechanics from different ideas outside of this initial game we worked on. Had we proceeded with a Kickstarter for that, I think we could have done a, a good job on it. It's just we wouldn't be where we are as designers now, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, it's nice to, to actually have some stuff under your belt. So if you ever do go the Kickstarter route, you can say, hey, look, we, we've, you know, made this stuff already. We got some successes. You can, you know, rely Absolutely. on us a little bit. <laughs> well, and, 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 yeah, we keep kind of growing our, our scope very slowly and kind of ca- in a calculated way, because like I mentioned, we have we're we have, we're fan, we're dads we have families and other jobs and so we're we keep kind of let's see where this will go but we're totally open to whatever's next and, and like the next step could be you can do a, you can use Kickstarter to um, for the marketing and to gather your funds and the pledges but you can use the Game Crafter to for production and mm-hmm. um, and fulfillment. And shipping all these things, and so that'd be kind of the next step if we wanted to grow even bigger. Knowing, taking our expertise with the Game Crafter, but bringing in, using our Game Crafter expertise, but using Kickstarter to kind of have a broader reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But my our other dream is that because we don't is is that we could um, we just want to put our games on the world and let people play them and 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 see what happens 
And I'm kind of waiting for like uh, some big time publisher to call us up and be like, hey, we, we bought a prototype of Draft Horse and, mm. and we wanted to do a full print run. You know, uh, that's something we're definitely open to. So who knows? You never do know. And and I, I think I mentioned this on a on a different interview, but it's I, I got to imagine that it was as a game designer and publisher, when you go back 10, 15 years ago, even, you know, pre-crowdfunding, pre-game crafter, what do you do to get, what do you do to fund these great game designs? Hello, banker, right. you know, in your full suit and trying mm-hmm. to explain to a banker, you know, how great your latest game mechanic is so that you can launch your game. So it's, it's awesome that we have all these different avenues and talking to you guys about how how much different your approach from some of the other publishers and designers we've talked to is on how you're coming to market and getting these games, it's it's very interesting. Oh, thank you. So why don't you uh, tell us what you guys are working on now? So it sounds like you got two two games coming up this year. Well, Koba is a ancient Mayan city in the Yucatan Peninsula. And so the setting is 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 uh it's kind of an Indiana Jones theme, and so you're raiding a Mayan ziggurat. Uh, is that a good setup? Yeah, that's that's a great setup. So yeah, thematically that's what it is. Um, mechanically, it's pretty interesting because um, we kind of took multi-use cards, I think, to another level. Um, so you'll have an an action card that you can use in hand that both functions as a priority. Um, card number one to thirty-four, um, to, and you're playing these simultaneously. So the player with the lowest card gets to use their action first, and that might not be the intended. Like, oh shoot, I wanted to run before, you know, Billy shot the the cobra in front of him. Um, so you have that interaction, but then these cards, they're not just action cards used from hand, but they make up the temple steps, and these temple steps shift around, and you're trying to climb them in ascending order. Um, so you're constantly shifting cards from hand to the table, um, and then also trying to get into your your teammates' minds as to what cards they might use and how they might prioritize, so that you can work as a team up up this or to ascend this uh, ziggurat. So it's kind of like a madcap zany, strategic, but there's laugh out loud moments when you kind of whiff or you, you play the wrong thing. And you, you get tripped up, and you get a curse, mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. All, all, all four players run into uh, some kind of pitfall at the same time. It's like seriously, guys. <laughs> and Koba is notable because our first three games were all two-player. What we found was that Ryan and I, because it's the two of us, and we see each other a lot, but we don't have a bigger gaming group we can pool, we can tap into as often. Most of our, even if we came up with a four-player game, five-player game, it was the two-player games that kept growing and being refined because that's what we could get to the table the most often. And maybe it's my preference, too, because that's what I play the most of with my wife. But anyway, so our first three games were all two-player, and we said, you know what, Uh, two-player competitive. So we had two design goals. We're like, we should do a co-op, and one day we should do a three- to four-player game. And so Koba brings both of those design goals together. It sounds like there's some, maybe some limited communication aspect of it too. 
Uh, Correct. Exactly. Um, glad you picked up on that because that is <laughs> you're saying it, we we're not sure if we're gonna do you know for picking up on what we're planning to do. It's yeah, you aren't able to really say I'm playing this card or whatever. Right. Sounds cool. Yeah. So so limited communication, but when it hits the table, you can you can uh, flex it flex what you do a little bit to some extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like how you execute it. Right. That's kind of a nice way of doing it because it sounds like you eliminate that need for one person trying to run the entire cooperative game. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, no quarterbacking. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was one of the two games. What's the other one that you have coming out? Mm -hmm. Then our next one is called Lunar Chess, and that one is back to two-player format, and it is well, it's set in the future. Your two mega corporations colonizing the moon, and you're developing the same kind of mega city on the moon, but you're competing for influence over the moon. It's kind of a, it's not technically stockholding, but it feels kind of like an acquire or a, a Tigris and Euphrates kind of where you're trying to invest in what will turn out to be the biggest crystal farm and solar panel farm and housing developments on the on the moon. The uniqueness of the game is on, it's got kind of multi-use cards again. Um, on every card, there's terrain types of, like I just said, crystals and solar panels and housing. That's what you lay down onto the table. But in the center of each card is a, a, a symbol from chess. Each player has 16 cards, and each card has one of, each each player's deck has entire move set from traditional western chess and when you play the card in the terrain it serves one function but it activates the movement of this each player has a pawn called the speculator and it activates the speculator who runs around this colony laying investment cubes on the on the terrain <laughs> and so it's the game it lunar chess the name lunar chess is both referencing the movement, but it's also kind of an intentional. Uh, it, it, it's kind of everyone knows chess, so it makes there's this familiarity to bring people in. But it's it's a little bit less abstract than you know chess or some other abstract game because it's it's got this hand management, card play, and a area control on this shared lunar colony. I really like that idea of using a very familiar, you know, mechanic, just the, the move set of chess to, to drive. It sounds like a drive totally different mechanics in the game of like moving this guy around to maybe probably get him to my cards or the things I want him to invest in. That sounds like kind of what you're going for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> so there's no capture like in chess. That, so yeah. the name could be a little confusing in that regard. There's no capture, but it, you use the, all the, the chess movements. Yeah. And what's cool is is you're, you're trying to make some complicated moves because there's moments where I'm like, oh, all I need to do is get over to that crystal so I can invest in it so I can get the majority over my opponent. Hmm. But all I have is some pawns in my hand. What am I going to do? And you can do a little bit of calculation and say, oh, my, I know my bishop is still in my deck. If I can only get my bishop, I can make this move. So I'm going to move up. So I get in that diagonal. I'll draw my bishop and I'll traverse the board and I'll drop the investment cube and bam! There's some pretty cool dramatic moments like that. And and there are some moments that feel like chess because in chess, it's all about 
planning as many planning several turns ahead and yeah do that to some extent you've got a limitation of your hand but you can say okay i'll i'll pawn to there then i'll bishop to there and then i'll knight to there and i'll drop the cube so it it'll apply to it it'll appeal to board gamers like strategy board gamers abstract gamers it'll apply to uh, appeal to anybody that sounds really cool <laughs> for the people that's brain hurt right at the moment <laughs> if your brain is tired and worn out it doesn't sound like that's a good game but it does sound right. like fun otherwise <laughs> yeah my wife both of our wives are good sports to a degree they'll play some of our things um so i got my wife to play lunar chess with me once and she's like well i don't like it but it's a good design <laughs> she doesn't like the, you know area control is not her cup of tea yeah yeah. But while I'm on the subject, a little plug. My wife adores Draft Horse, which is the first game we put out. Uh, she and I, that's in the glove compartment of our car at all times. And it's our like, go-to coffee shop game. So she and I have played it over 100 times easy. That's pretty cool. So, it's, And then so you've got two other games also besides Draft Horse that are already out? I don't uh, remember their names. You had them. Yeah. <laughs> I've Scuttle seen Ball them, but I don't remember them. The favor. Say that again. Uh, Scuttleball and Curry the Favor. Are out. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite among those? I don't, do you? <laughs> or ones that you're more excited, have yeah, parts well, you're excited I, about? I, maybe I'm biased. Draft Horse was the first game we put out, and um, uh, it's my favorite. Okay. But like I said, I've played it over 100 times just with my wife, so um that one never gets old to me and and interestingly our first few designs like draft horse was the first game we put out and i was at the time you know we've worked together this whole time but i was kind of the principal designer on it um i worked it out in my head to the point where it was basically all me our second game curry the favor ryan well he like i don't know when he came up with it it was like he woke up one morning and just had the idea and it worked. Uh, and so he's the sole designer on that one. But I believe every game since then has been a mutual collaboration where we're both credited as the designer because our kind of hive mind is just, <laughs> just you know, gelled together and you don't know whose idea is what and our ideas just keep kind of building on each other's and evolving, so... Yeah, and, and by hive mind, I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit because we're so left brain, right brain with our with our backgrounds. Jonathan will have a great idea or, or vice versa. I'll have a great idea, at least in my mind or Jonathan in his mind. And we'll share that and we will come away with something completely unrelated to what the initial idea was. And then we'll be like, oh, like this. And and so the the initial originator of the idea will be like what that's not a that's not at all what i meant but that's really cool let's look into that <laughs> well and ryan opened me up to this diverge converge mode of problem solving or strategizing where you start with a problem and you diverge you you, you have this divergent thinking you come up with as many variants of that idea as many solutions as possible and then you assess all those solutions you you kind of then start to hone back into the, the best of them. Because if you just start with one idea, you'll just kind of keep spinning in it and keep trying to refine the same idea, which might yield a great result, but you might be missing out 
and a ton of solutions you never even dreamed of. And so intentionally, sometimes we, we explore, we start with the same game design and I, I have something I have, I'm like, I like this. And he's like, but I like that. And we're like, let's both, let's try it and see who wins. And we go off in our minds and in our sketch pads and come up with designs and kind of compare notes. And, and, and oftentimes we lift the best parts of both and combine mm-hmm. them into one idea. Awesome. You know, hearing about your design process and you talk about some of these games has definitely sold me on some of the games that you're talking about. So, you know, where, how, how do I get your games? Tell us how people can find your games and buy them. What do they need to do? There's the best place to go would be on Instagram, crossbow games. It's crossbow underscore games. That's where we're the most up to date. That's where you can see our development in real time. If we're running a sale, if we're launching a new game, that's where you can, you know, kind of stay in touch with us, if you will. Um, and from there, you'll find links to our shop on the Game Crafter, and you'll find the link to our website, which is crossbowgames.com. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's that's really it. Instagram, crossbowgames.com, the Game Crafter. We have a Discord, but it's pretty dormant. It doesn't do much. Right. <laughs> someday. Someday. Uh, when when are Coba uh, and Lunar Chess uh, going to be releasing? Do you have uh, firm dates yet, or is it just 2023? For uh, No firm date, but I'd say in the first half of 2023. The art for Coba is done. Uh, the playtesting is done. The rules are done. Uh, we just need to get a little bit of review feedback so that we have some, some kind of good marketing um, flair to put out there for our campaign because we do you can just launch it straight up on the game crafter but they also have a crowdfunding function that's similar to kickstarter Mm -hmm. but the difference is instead for different uh tiers when you know if you get 10 backers 20 backers the, the increments are smaller than kickstarter but if you get up to 50 backers 75 Instead of unlocking more promos and add-ons and, and upgrades or whatever, it just drops the price. So the more people who get on, the cheaper it is for everybody. So that seems to be the most successful thing for us and for our fans and followers. That's what people like and expect. So that takes a bit more planning. Can't just throw it up there. So both of these would probably have a kick. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, a, a crowd sale sooner rather than later. <laughs> That's about as specific as I can get. Sure, yeah. We'll look forward to it, yeah. And, of course, we will have links in the show notes for Crossbow Games and where you can find and purchase these games, uh, for Game Crafter, uh, for all the games that are currently available, as well as uh, you'll be able to see more information about the two co- two games that are coming up here in the near future. Both of them sound pretty f- pretty. Pretty brilliant and a lot of fun to play. Thank you so much. Thanks. One, wait, hold on. One more quick plug. I have to interrupt because prior to both, those are our true titles we're most excited about. But prior to that is the one card game contest on the Game Crafter. And that concludes January 9th. And I don't know the specific dates, but voting will be open. The voting will be open to the public, uh, presumably the end of January or sometime soon so that's our most immediate thing that i'd like to draw people's attention to because 
We've got some kind of party game, dexterity games that we'll be putting out there, spy-themed, one's kind of a Lord of the Rings theme. Anyway, so those are what I'd love people to, to, to you know, navigate to um, the Game Crafter Find That Contest and, and vote on those things. We would, we would appreciate that so much. We'll make sure we have a link to that as well in our show notes. But I was just going to ask, do you guys have anything else that you wanted to share before we uh, wrap this up? No, that was it. We appreciate you guys so much. This has been a blast. Absolutely. It's been a blast talking to you and and really gaining a a different side of insight into uh, the board game design and really a different avenue and approach it really was fascinating to listen to you guys talk and how you've come up with it and i hope that this inspires other board gamers and and potential designers to leverage a service like game crafter to be able to uh do this and and look for uh, we look forward to on a future interview or future conversation uh talking even with uh, the folks over at game crafter and understanding their business a little bit more and being able to bring that to the air as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure meeting you in person. I should note that we met you guys at uh, Noble Knight Games here in Madison during their yeah. anniversary this fall. It was a pleasure meeting you. Um, I actually look forward to hopefully bumping into you. I think you said you're going to be at Midwinter Gaming Convention here in, in a couple of weeks in Wisconsin. Right. So in Milwaukee. So, uh, you, you know, hopefully we'll have a chance to bump into each other then and see to see what else you got cooking so with that let's go ahead and wrap things up thanks once again so much for having you on thank you awesome thank you thank you so much for listening make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts oh and by the way give us a like on our facebook page and don't forget to follow us on twitter instagram or pinterest while you're at it If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out.